literally when you text me the first time, do you know Brittany Murphy? I was like, from Zeta Ada? Like, that's oh like where God. my mind, like, <laughs> from our chapter? <laughs> Russell doesn't believe that I don't know what you're going to tell me about the day before. He was like, what are y'all recording tonight? I was like, I really don't know. <laughs> he didn't believe me. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. You almost called yourself the true crime newbie, didn't you? Did I? You like right before you said fanatic, you like pause, and I thought you were you your mouth went like you were going to say you were the true crime newbie. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? That would make this a terrible podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. All right. Today, Mogab, I'm telling you about Brittany Murphy and the mysteries still surrounding her death. Oh, wait, I I know who that is. Just so you know. <laughs> okay, trivia time. Who's Brittany Murphy? She's Mogab. an actress that has really big buggy eyes. Um, they're beautiful doe eyes, if that's what you mean. No. They're freaking Bambi eyes. She gives me like Drew Barrymore eyes. feels. Gross. I <laughs> love Brittany Murphy. I loved her. My whole life I loved her. I was the biggest fan of Clueless. Wait, you're speaking in past tense. Yeah, because she did. I just said we're talking about Brittany Murphy and the mystery still surrounding her death. Oh, I thought you said the mystery surrounding her. No, her death. Muerto. What? Oh. <laughs> I like when you talk Spanish to me. Did I know she died? Did I know she was dead when you texted me? Yeah, you said, is she dead? And I said, yes. <laughs> oh, I think I get her mixed up. Wasn't she in a movie? Okay, are you done with trivia? Jesus, wasn't she in what? I was. I didn't know if you were going to ask me what movie she was in, and I was about to ask you if she was in a movie. What movie? I don't know the name of it, but Ashton Kutcher, that one. 
Oh, yeah. Just married. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. Okay, I think I've seen parts of that. Oh, my God. It's so cute. You should see all parts of it. Well, not now that she's dead. Uh, okay. Sometimes I wonder if people think, like, I'm just some, like, I grew up on a, like, in a covered wagon that didn't have TV or something. <laughs> like I constantly wonder that. And I, uh, yeah. I think you give me, I, I think you... I'm like at a disadvantage when it's with you. Like, I don't normally seem so out of touch with the world. Um, You even said you had friends that Marco polled you about Kanye and were like, no offense, no God, <laughs> this question is not for you. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That's all right. Moving on. Look, it's what I love about you. But yes, very, very few of my friends have uh, my obsession of, with pop culture. But I have loved Brittany Murphy since I was... 10 years old in the fifth grade when Clueless came out. It was my favorite she movie. She was in Clueless? She's the blonde girl. Two decades. Oh my God. The blonde girl is Alicia Silverstone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brittany Murphy was Ty. Mm, I've seen that movie like once. I've seen that movie so many times that one time when I was like real bored at the Delta Gamma house, it came on TV and I was like, I wonder if I could quote this entire thing. And uh, weird flex, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I can picture you right now on that red couch doing that. I know what you're thinking. Like, is this an Oxima commercial or what? But actually, I have a way normal life for a teenage girl. (laughs) Great. I would let you keep going, but I have to be in bed at a decent hour. I could keep going. So I got a lot of help for this episode from the ID documentary, Brittany Murphy, an ID mystery, as well as an article from Biography by Rachel Chang and The Hollywood Reporter by Alex Ben Block titled The Final Difficult Days of Brittany Murphy. So wait, how'd she die? I thought, was it drugs? Oh, I wasn't going to tell you in this whole thing. I was just going to like not tell you. (laughs) Ugh, woof. I can't with you. Are you ready? I suppose. All right. It was 8 a.m. on Sunday, December 20th, 2009, when a 911 call came in from West Hollywood by a woman who was obviously panicking. She said she'd found her daughter passed out and she wouldn't wake up. The 911 operator asked the woman questions, but she's so frantic she can barely answer them. That's my worst nightmare, P.S., that I'm going to have to call 911 and not be able to, like articulate like I think about it all the time not being able to like know where I am on the road on the side of the road I think about this often. oh yeah really yes uh you have a phone though yeah but like, like how, Google Maps. I don't know where I'm at like I think I started freaking out about that when I first moved out of state and like not knowing where anything was Maybe that fear is just going to make you, like, more aware of your surroundings. You think that. But we had a tornado warning, and literally they're like, if you're in the following counties, get indoors. And I was like, I don't know what county I live in. I was, like, Googling it. What county do I live in? (laughs) This is your PSA, people. Look up what county you live in before there's bad weather. (laughs) All right. While on the phone with 911, the passed out woman's husband can be heard entering the room, and he starts doing CPR. The 911 operator tells them to continue with the compressions while the woman is just sobbing on the phone. 
I really hate to use words like hysterical in these kinds of circumstances. I think it has really bad connotations, like that hysterical woman, but she sounded hysterical. Was it Ashton Kutcher who was in the room? Wait, the passed out woman's husband? Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Who's she married to? It's not Ashton? That's in a movie. (laughs) Damn it. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Keep going. Never mind. Look, we'll get to Ashton, okay? Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Paramedics were sent out to the house, which was a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, every like article called it a house, a big house. But I'm like, to me, that's a mansion. Yeah, there's a word for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a word for big house. It's the M in mash. <laughs> that's what I. That is the image that kept sparking to mind when I was like, her mansion. It would be my M. <laughs> M dot A dot S dot H. <laughs> I always got the shack. And uh, they were met by Sharon Murphy, the woman on the phone, and her son-in-law, Simon Monjack, not Ashton Kutcher. Oh, I don't know who that is. Is he famous? Uh, No, he's really not famous. He wishes he was. Anyways, paramedics rush into the bathroom, which is just full to bursting with makeup, hair care, skincare products. It's just covering the countertops. And that's where they find the 32-year-old actress, Brittany Murphy, unconscious on the floor. They rush her to a hospital. It's about a 20-minute drive away, according to Google Maps, which I looked up. But it doesn't look good. Sharon and Simon follow the ambulance to the hospital. But when they get there, it's too late. And there's nothing anyone can do for Brittany. She was pronounced dead at 10.04 a.m. at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in L.A. The coroner's initial report said her cause of death appeared to be natural. But... How does a healthy 32-year-old woman suddenly die of natural causes? And then, in a coincidence made for a movie, five months later, almost to the day, Simon died in the exact same room of the exact same causes. mm -mm, Hell no. What? (laughs) This is weird. It's weird. And that... 32 in 2009. I didn't know she was that much older than us. Yeah. Ew. I'm freaked out. <laughs> so who is Brittany Murphy? Well, even Mogab knows. So if you haven't heard of her, that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, though, for real. But I am looking up Simon. Actually, I'm not going to Google Simon. Don't you know, I Google like to, anybody. Yeah. I know. Because, you know, I like to tell you what I think they look like. Yes. Uh, Brittany Murphy was born on November 10th, 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia. Her parents had met not not long before her birth, and her father, Angelo Bertolotti, was involved in organized crime, and he'd hired her mother, Sharon Murphy, to work in one of his clubs. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. They got married soon after they met, but Angelo was in and out of jail a lot because of his connections to the mob. So the marriage didn't last long, and Angelo didn't have a lot to do with Brittany during her childhood, probably because of the nine years he spent in prison. Bertatelli, that's that, like, brand of pasta that's... Bertolotti. Bertolotti. That's the the Italian stuff in the refrigerated section with the green lid. That's Bertelli, isn't it? It's not Bertolotti. Okay. It's another Italian name. (laughs) Fine. After the divorce, Sharon moved with Brittany to Edison, New Jersey, when Brittany was about 13, and that's where she grew up. As a child, Brittany was precocious and outgoing, and she loved to sing and dance. 
Her first acting role was at a local theater where she starred in the musical Really Rosie when she was nine years old. And the showbuzz, the showbiz bug had bitten Britney and she wanted to be a star. She wanted to be in movies, on Broadway, have a huge musical career. She said she was going to change the world. Same girl. I used to practice how I was going to have my autographs done when I was going by my middle name. I still know exactly what it looks like. Who didn't? Britney came to Hollywood at 13, and her mother followed her soon after. Sharon was Britney's pillar, and they were more like friends than mother and daughter. Oh, that's a recipe for success. Wait, she went out there by herself at 13? Yeah, I couldn't find any information about that. Most news sources said that they went out there together, but the one that I trust the most said she went to Hollywood and her mother followed soon after, but there was no, like, did she stay with relatives? Like, I couldn't, I was like, I knew, I was like, I know she's going to ask me about this, but I don't know. Okay, because I couldn't go down the hall at 13 without my mom up in my business. I know, but these stage parents are insane. There is this documentary on Netflix you have to watch about this apartment complex uh, called the Holly, it's called the Hollywood Complex, and it's this apartment complex in LA that caters to child actors that are moving out to LA. And there's like acting clinics and managers and agents <laughs> come to this place, and it's like just every child actor you've ever heard of lived at this complex at one time or another. Like it is, and the the things that these stage parents do are insane. So what was I even doing? Anyways, back to Brittany and Sharon being BFFs. Brittany once said that calling Sharon her best friend was downplaying their relationship because they were more like soulmates. Ew. I know. <sighs> I know. Yikes. I don't like I don't like it. Neither. So she started getting some guest roles on shows like Frasier and Nash Bridges, but her breakout role and the moment I and the rest of the world, except for Mogab, fell completely in love with her was in 1995 when at 17 years old, she starred as Ty and Clueless and said the iconic line, You don't think that we mesh well. I was like, why am I even listening to you to begin with? You're a virgin who can't drive. I don't get it. (sighs) Okay, I'll just keep it to myself. It was a diss. Cher failed her driving test. And she's like, Cher's in that movie? Wait, what? Cher played by Alicia Silverstone. Oh, that was her name. We are going to watch Clueless. I was like, oh my God, Cher is so old. Clueless is flawless, Mogab. You- I'll watch watch it again. It is perfect. It is perfection. Everything about it is perfect. My God. Clueless was huge for her. And so many people say she even outshone the star, Alicia Silverstone, who played Cher. You should have said that first then, stupid. Okay. This documentary said that she was worried about getting typecast as like the chubby, plump friend. And I'm like, in what world, in what universe is Brittany Murphy chubby in Clueless? But okay. Right. So... Very quickly, she got really thin and went blonde, and she started getting bigger and better roles. She's done rom-coms like Just Married and Little Black Book and dramas like Eight Mile, Girl Interrupted, Don't Say a Word, and Riding in Cars with Boys, and she was a standout in every single one. None of those stand out to me. (laughs) You are not a good judge for that. 
obviously. I know. I'm just saying I haven't seen any of the things you read. Okay, you saw, you've seen Just Married. Yeah, that was it. And Eight Mile, you're missing out majorly. Girl Interrupted, you oh, are come missing. Come on, Eminem. Home. What the hell? Oh my God. Don't do tell me you, you like him. Eminem Wolf. He's the worst. Even Whatever. Stella thinks you're crazy. Come for me in the comments. Oh my God. Come at my neck. I do. Oh my like God. I did, however, though, just again last week listen to the whole TI album, front, well, multiple ones, front to back. If you want to talk about a real musical genius. Anyways. Don't give me okay. crazy eyes. Look, I will. I will die on this hill. I feel like Ti proved a lot with the Mass Singer and all. However, oh, I've musical never seen that. genius. You're, if either of them are a musical no. genius, Eminem is a musical genius. My God, are you oh joking me? Google who's a genius, Eminem or Ti? Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. That will be our oh next poll. All right. Anyways. You know we're just going to get slammed on. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, I hated this podcast. Two girls arguing about rap singers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay, but the sad thing is people think we're probably so obnoxious. I could probably word for word sing to most T.I. songs. And you probably could do the same for Eminem. Yeah, for his self-titled album. And that, well, I could in high school. I mean, high school is really my like Eminem days. That was like my angry music. Like I would put on like that's like that's your angry. Mu- that's the least surprising. I would thing. put on the way I am in my car when I was pissed off, and I would just scream it, and I would feel so much better. Okay, yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go. We we haven't even started. All right. I know. I got shit to do. A critic for the Times, Richard Corliss, said Britney was a gifted actress who never got the acclaim she deserved. Her work has been underappreciated, but she's been compared to Lucille Ball, having her kind of humor, but also able to do drama, which is really rare. And one of her... Okay, that's offensive. One of her directors... No, it's not. She's really talented. You don't even know because you've not seen a single one of her movies. But I know Lucille. Okay. You don't know Britney, (laughs) who is amazing, was... (laughs) That's Britney, bitch. Different Britney, but we'll get to that Britney, too. Okay. One of her directors compared her to a really great old movie star, but her romantic life wasn't quite as successful. She would date her co-stars. Like, when she filmed 8 Mile, she started dating Eminem, and then she did Just Married and started dating Ashton Kutcher, but these relationships were short-lived. I didn't know he was actually in the movie. He plays himself. No. He plays- Eminem? Yeah, Eminem is an eight mile. No, he plays like a oh. fictionalized version of himself. Yeah. But his name well, is. Well, yeah, but he's in the movie. And they dated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. And then Ashton Kutcher. But those relationships were short lived. She rose to fame really quickly after Clueless. And at the time, it seemed like the sky was the limit for her. People loved her. She seemed to have these this childlike innocence, probably those big doe eyes of hers that you called bug eyes, and that's offensive. <laughs> they just project this sense of wonder. And she had such an infectious giggle. 
But her fall from fame happened in almost as quick a time, and no one really seemed to know why. She started doing movies that all went straight to video. She was dropped from several projects, like as a voice actor for Happy Feet 2. And it seemed like the only offers coming in were for B-horror films that she had no interest in doing. A lot of this had to do with tabloid rumors about alleged lateness, her inability to remember her lines, drug use, and partying. And these rumors just destroyed her career. Her last starring studio role was Little Black Book in 2004. And after that, it was all Lifetime, Independent, or straight-to-video movies. She'd also dropped a lot of weight after Clueless, and her weight loss fueled rumors about eating disorders and drug use. But she was only 5'2", and she weighed 115 pounds when she died. The coroner said that he saw no signs of illegal drug use or an eating disorder, that she was at a healthy weight, and he said her body appeared well-developed, normally muscular, and slim, but not excessively thin. It seemed like she was just a tiny person. But then, on the other hand, there are lots of people that say that she wasn't eating. So I don't know. Simon, her husband, said she ate whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. And a woman who... Must be nice. (laughs) I know. I don't really believe that she ate whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted. She was very... please. But a woman who directed her in a Lifetime movie said Britney controlled her weight because she was self-conscious about her height and that you look taller if you're thinner. So I don't know if it's just a lot of people around her making excuses for her. Right. In 2006, just as her career was beginning to dry up, she met Simon Monjack. He was a 40-year-old British man, a screenwriter, director, cameraman, who'd made a name for himself with the film Factory Girl, which was loosely based on the life of Edie Sedgwick, Andy Warhol's muse. Hmm. Interestingly, the director of Factory Girl was a good friend of Britney's and almost cast her as Edie, but the role went to Sienna Miller. I wonder why she just kept losing out on everything. Like, for no reason that you've told me. Yeah, it just seems like there were all these rumors that she was very difficult to work with, and so people stopped offering her roles, and she lost a few roles. So, yeah, Mm. it's really unfortunate because she was so good. Brittany read a screenplay of Simon's that she absolutely loved, and she insisted on meeting the writer. They started meeting to discuss business, but their business meetings turned personal. Simon called his mom soon after they met and told her that he had fallen in love and he called her crazy, too. Yeah. You know, I've met this crazy girl, but I love her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's that's, just so crazy. Mm-hmm. Within a year, they were married in a super secret Jewish ceremony at her home, and not even Simon's mother knew about it beforehand. Oh, uh-oh. You do not upset a Jewish mama. <laughs> so this was Brittany's first marriage, but this was Simon's third marriage. And within two years of it, they would both be dead. Brittany bought a $3.9 million tri-level Mediterranean mansion in West Hollywood. She bought it off the other famous Brittany, Spears. <gasps> oh, in 2006? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. I already know what the problem is then. <laughs> you want to know my theory? Hmm. Is this the house that she died in? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Did she sage that thing first? Because Britney Spears in there shaving her head, and now Britney Murphy's moving in. It's insane that you say that because I'll get to it in a second. (laughs) Get to it in a second. So uh, Britney had lived there with Justin Timberlake back in those days. God, the good old days. So Simon and Britney move into this mansion, and guess who joins them? 
the ghost of all of Britney Spears' pasts. That, them, also. Also, Britney's mom, her BFF soulmate, Sharon, moved into this house with them. Okay. She was also her business manager. Like I said, they were unusually close, but ever since Britney started working, Britney had become more like the mother. Like, she was the one paying the bills. Britney quickly felt like the house was unlucky, and she hated living there. Why? Well, I'm guessing because of all of the ghosts of Britney past. Yeah, I know. I just would have known that before I paid $3.9 million, you said? Uh-huh. She'd often ask her husband on their way home if they could stay at the Beverly Hills Hotel instead of going home. Oh, that's sad, but then I sell know. the house. I don't know. Maybe you can't just sell a $4 million house. Maybe you're a little upside down on it. You don't have a career <laughs> really believe. anymore. What if I just on the way home from dinner next week, I'm like, can we stay in a hotel? I don't want to go home. Can we stay in the Beverly Hills Hotel? Can we stay in the Quality Inn? <laughs> <laughs> There seemed to be a lot of things troubling her. Her failing career, for one. The fact that she never felt very independent. She'd never learned to drive or manage her finances, even though she'd been almost the sole breadwinner of her family since she was 17 years old. There were also a lot of health issues in her family. Her mother was a breast cancer survivor, and she struggled with neuropathy that typically results in numbness, tingling, muscle weakness, and pain. I'm so glad you said that. Because I don't know what that is, but yeah. my mom just yells about it. Oh, my really? neuropathy! <laughs> what is that? I I had to go look it up. I'm like, is that a mental situation? <laughs> no, it frequently starts in your hand, your hands and feet, but other parts of your body can be affected too. And then Simon suffered from seizures and sleep apnea. Brittany became their caretaker, and I just think it was a lot for her. She had her own health issues to worry about. She'd been in a car accident right after Clueless in 1995, and she had this recurring ache in her jaw from that. Mm. And she'd taken prescription pain medication for it ever since. And she'd also started suffering seizures caused by some accident she had on the set of 8 Mile, and she took Klonopin for her seizures. Mm, Klonopin. <laughs> yeah. She'd also been born with a heart condition, that made her wary of even having too much caffeine or a glass of champagne on New Year's. God, I couldn't imagine that life. Yeah, I know. The one place in her house she loved was her bathroom. It became like her sanctuary. It was the one place she could go and get away from her troubles, and she would spend hours in there. Sometimes she'd sing, write poetry, listen to music, or flip through magazines in there. Um, like I said earlier, the counters were just covered in cosmetics and perfumes. She would spend hours sampling all of it, studying her body image obsessively. Do we think she was happily married? Like, is she no. in love? No. No. We'll get to that. It seems to be a reoccurring theme in these stories. It does. <laughs> People close to Brittany say she suffered from severe self-image issues. She was constantly worried about what she looked like, her body, her skin, her hair, her teeth. She desperately wanted a new start in New York, and she and Simon had even started talking about moving out there. She couldn't stop thinking about moving back to the East Coast, where she'd have the opportunity to get into the independent films that she loved and get away from the Hollywood that had just been treating her so terribly. She thought Simon could find work out there as a screenwriter and director and that 
things could really work out for them. In November of 2009, so about a month before she died. In November of 2009, yours truly was elected president of Delta Gamma. Mm, in November of 2009, yours truly was living in Singapore. So who really came Who out wins? Top? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the third poll we put out. Uh, I am sad that I wasn't there for when you were president. So in November 2009, Brittany flew out to Puerto Rico with Sharon and Simon. Oh, God, Sharon, go home, Sharon. She doesn't even go here. She... <laughs> Uh, she flew out there to film a movie that Brittany had been casting called The Caller. And this trip turned out to be a disaster. And this really could have been the beginning of the end for Brittany. She was, which, honestly, I think that might be the day she met Simon. But anyways, she was fired on the first day of filming. And rumors flew around that it was because Simon was drunk on the set. But the movie's producers said that it was a mutual parting. Simon said that Brittany was upset that the movie had turned into a horror movie when she'd been under the impression that it was a thriller. She said it was too spooky and she didn't want to do it. But she didn't actually leave the movie until after the first day after Simon had been banned from the set. So I think it's probably true that she wasn't too happy about doing the movie. But I also think she was fired because Simon was drunk on the set. Yeah, it sounds like a little column A, a little column B. Yeah, exactly. But the family decided to stay in Puerto Rico and continue their vacation for another week, which may have been a fatal decision. Both Sharon and Simon caught staphylococcus, and on the flight back to L.A., Simon had what he called a minor heart attack, and Brittany had to give him CPR on the plane. Wait, they got what while they were over there? Staphylococcus. Is that like staph infection? Like in the leg? Or... I'm just saying, because your girl knows all about that. Why are okay. you laughing? Because I tried to look this up, and I really couldn't get any answers, because I was like, is that just like a staph infection? I don't- Don't I, make me call Louise, because you know I will. Okay, look. Because, yes, a staphylococcus is a staph infection. That is what it is. But well, there know, are but different kinds. Okay? okay, so not sure. But anyways, by mid-December- Murphy had also caught Staphylococcus aureus, which is the most dangerous of all the staph bacteria. And also what I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing aureus might be aureus. I like aureus. Yeah. And she got it really bad with a terrible case of laryngitis on top. And that's scary. Yeah. And then she got her second period that month, which was unusually heavy and it caused her to develop acute anemia, which made her very weak, and she could barely breathe. Ooh. Simon says that Brittany thought that she could just push through it, so she didn't go to the doctor. But she was sick for six weeks before she finally called on a Friday to make an appointment for Monday. <gasps> she died on Sunday. Oh, my God. But on Friday, why don't you just go to the ER or an urgent care clinic or something? Like, well, I guess and if she you said she was weak, I'm thinking like, you know how like on your period you're like, oh, I could nap or well, I don't ever nap. Like I know people normally like just can nap and I can't. But I, the one time I can like nap during the day is like, you know, and I don't feel good or whatever, like kind of tired. But she's like that week, like can't get out of bed, like. Where's Sharon at? Sharon needs to pick her 90-pound ass up and put her in the back seat and take her 
in the hospital. What's the point of living with your mama if she's not doing anything? Yeah. And yeah. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to like blame anyone, but. Well, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Saturday night, just hours before Brittany would be pronounced dead, weird things kept happening at the house. Like the power kept going out and the backup generators were failing and they couldn't light candles because of Simon's oxygen machine that he used for his sleep apnea and his asthma. So they used flashlights. Oh my God. And that was just like a detail in this article that never really went anywhere, but it was weird. The next morning, Brittany just began gasping for breath. Her lips turned blue and her lungs filled with fluid. She took an antibiotic, biaxin, migraine pills, cough medicine, an over-the-counter nasal spray. She did all that at once? This is all that she took that day. Earlier that day, she'd taken a generic Prozac, an anti-inflammatory, a beta blocker, a Vicoprofen that she used to ease the pain of her period, and her Klonopin for her seizures. And she fell in the bathroom, the room that had been her sanctuary, and her last words were, I'm dying. I'm going to die. Mommy, I love you. And her mom called 911, but it was too late. Were you tearing up just then? I miss her. Sharon was hit hard by the news, and she just falls apart. Brittany was her only child. The media gets wind of Brittany's death, and they just start swarming. Everyone had so many questions. Like, how does this happen? And, you know, okay, L.A. authorities started investigating. They interviewed Simon, who said that Brittany had been sick with flu symptoms. He seemed to be under the influence of something during the interview, and he appeared confused. But his wife had just died, so I guess I don't blame the guy if he's got a couple cocktails in him, you know? But, you know, I mean, yes, I agree. But he kind of, I don't know. I don't want to, like, he just kind of sounds like he sucks. He doesn't not suck, okay? I'm just going to say he doesn't not doesn't suck. not not suck. But he doesn't not not suck either. No, he definitely sucks. Okay. I, I, well, just here's the story. All right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, 
com slash creepers. He said uh, he told the coroner that he absolutely did not want an autopsy, which is really weird when your 32-year-old wife drops dead at home to not want to know why. I mean, I don't know. It might be hard to like think of your loved ones going under an autopsy, but I just think most people would want answers. I didn't know it was optional. Well, Ed Winter, the chief coroner at the time, said that unless Simon could provide a religious exemption or a court order, they're doing the autopsy. Mm. He also got a copy of her medical records and her blood. And again, he announced that it looked like natural causes had killed Brittany, which just made no sense. Police searched the house for evidence and found approximately 90, 90 different prescription pills in Simon's name on his nightstand and several more on Brittany's side of the bed. There were pills for anxiety, depression, habit-forming painkillers. Nine zero. Nine zero. Like, how big is your nightstand? It was just covered. And then I think there were some in the drawer, too. Ugh. On February 4th, 2010, the coroner released an updated report, and the final results stated that Brittany died of pneumonia and had overdosed on non-prescription medication and that her anemia had compromised her immune system. He said that a 32-year-old can die if they get sick and are just fed over-the-counter medications, and he thinks that's exactly what happened to Brittany. Like, she'd had some unusually heavy periods that led to her developing anemia, which just blew away all of her defenses, making her a risk for pneumonia. And let me tell you, when I was 32 years old and I got pneumonia, I knew that Brittany was 32 when she got pneumonia, and I was terrified. Uh, that I was going to die. I got pneumonia and my mom told me I couldn't go anywhere. I mean, I was like out of college, graduated, but she was like, you you need to stay home. I went to New Orleans, Bourbon Street. And if there's anywhere you shouldn't be when you are remotely ill, that is New Orleans. <laughs> no kidding. The coroner said that all of the drugs in her system when she died were all drugs that she either, like, took regularly, like the um, clonopin and her antidepressant and that kind of thing, or they were all drugs used to treat cold or flu symptoms. She had acetaminophen and hydroconone. Those are components of Vicodin. There was chlor... There was the active ingredient in some over-the-counter medications. And then there was L-methamphetamine, which is a component in some inhalers. She was on an antibiotic. She was taking cough medicine. None of the reports found signs of heavy illegal drug use, even though rumors had followed her around for years that she was using cocaine, heroin, crack. These rumors only got worse after her death. Reports began to emerge. And by reports, I mean, I think some people just wanted their 15 minutes of fame and they started running their mouth about Britney. The media started reporting about strange things happening in Britney's professional life like that she couldn't remember her lines or saying she'd been high on set. One of her directors came out and said he knows that Brittany wasn't using drugs on set, but that he knows for a fact that she was smoking crack with Simon Monjack afterwards. Yeah, what a fact. Well, I mean, it just goes to show I really don't know anything about her. And as soon as you started, I was like, didn't she OD? Because I'm sure I like heard Mm -hmm. that on the radio or something. And then that's. Yeah, that's what everybody said, that she OD'd on prescription pills. And it was actually the non-prescription pills, the stuff that she was trying to treat her symptoms from, from her her pneumonia. 
Yeah. Media said that even though her career was drying up, she still thought she could demand the same thing she could in her eight mile days, but that people just couldn't work with her anymore. Her agency and manager both dumped her and her phone stopped ringing. So it starts to become obvious to the public that Brittany had been very troubled there at the end. She'd started doing drugs and she died as a result. And people seem to move on like you. But nobody cared about her before. Like, where was everybody when no one was? I cared. I cared. I was the one watching her independent film Ramen Girl because I'm supporting my girl, Brittany. Ramen Girl? It was really good. I actually really liked Ramen Girl. It was memorable. That sounds like the nail to the coffin. You know what really bothers me when people say Raymond? Ew. No. It's ramen. Ramen or Raymond? It's not Raymond. That'll be my next question on the poll. But the coroner said despite all these reports about illegal and prescription drug abuse, neither of those played a big role in her death and that it could have been prevented if they just taken her to the hospital instead of just feeding her cough syrup. But here's where it gets interesting. All these reports of all this erratic behavior of Britney's, the can't remember her lines, late to set, all this stuff, none of it started until after she met Simon Monjack. Oh. Her friends all say that he was extremely controlling. He controlled who she spoke to, what roles she could take, what agents or managers she could speak to. One person in Hollywood called Simon Satan and said you couldn't get to Britney without going through him. I'm picturing Simon Cow, in case you were wondering. Yeah. So he does suck. Yeah, oh yeah, he sucks. People started to suspect that maybe Simon had something to do with Britney's death, and they start coming forward with some stories. I wonder if he, like, kept her drugged up on purpose. Yeah, that's what I think. Simon was someone who was incredibly charming, but like my mom always told me, never go for the charming guys, because they are always huge manipulators. That's not the word she used, but... (laughs) I feel like my mom was like, yeah, go after it, girl. (laughs) Not my mom. She said to watch out for the charm. Did I listen to her? No. 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 I know you didn't. I was there freshman year. (laughs) My freshman year. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Simon was no exception. He was described as manipulative, a con man, even a sociopath who lied through his teeth about literally everything. Starting with his first wife, Simone Bien. Oh, I like that name. I know. Isn't that great? Simone Bien. Except then she marries Simon. So then it's Simon and Simone. Ugh. It's not great. It's Bien. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. They got married in Vegas in 2001 after a whirlwind romance. He told her that he owned several Damien Hirst paintings, who's reputed to be one of the richest living artists to date, and his pieces sell at auctions for millions of dollars. And he said he was the heir to a steel mill, but not a single word of it was true. As soon as they were married, he moved into her house, and then his charming personality did a complete 180. They were separated after only a couple of weeks. They got a divorce, and Simone successfully sued Simon for about $50,000. He never paid it. Then there is the real story behind his involvement in Factory Girl, the movie about Edie Sedgwick that I said he'd made a name Mm -hmm. for himself on. 
He used it all the time to get other work or to show people how successful he was in the industry. But turns out, that's all a lie, too. He didn't have anything to do with Factory Girl. (gasps) The director of Factory Girl has said publicly that the only reason Simon has a story credit on Factory Girl, and it is a story credit he has, it's not actually a screenwriting credit, and it's only because he filed a frivolous lawsuit against the film claiming they'd stolen his script to make Factory Girl. He was literally holding the film in a vice grip, and the production had no choice but to settle and gave him the story credit on the movie so he'd go away. But he didn't actually work on this movie at all. This is his most prominent screenwriting credit, and it's the one he based his entire persona around. Like, Simon Monjack, you know, the guy that wrote Factory Girl. And it wasn't true at all. So he would literally say, like, I wrote this. Yes. And side note... I've never seen Factory Girl, but Rotten Tomatoes gives it a rotten review and says, despite a dedicated performance by Sienna Miller, Factory Girl delves only superficially into her character and ultimately fails to tell a coherent story. So, like, if you're going to steal a movie, you know, maybe steal yeah. one of the award-winning films of that year, like Crash I'd be or walking around here like, I wrote Titanic. Yeah, exactly. I came up with the story. <laughs> Nobody knew about that story until I said it. But Factory Girl, exactly. like all of this over Factory Girl, it's just like. Never even heard of that. Yeah. Well, which means nothing. But yeah. Sorry. It was not. You like, haven't even watched it. No, I haven't even seen it. And for good reason. It was a terrible movie. Well, I can't say that I haven't watched it. I'm sure there are fans of Factory Girl. But 6.5 on IMDb. Okay. It's not that great. I mean. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that the director of Factory Girl was really good friends with Britney, and he actually warned Britney to stay away from Simon. He asked her if she really knew Simon and if she knew what she was doing by marrying him, and he said that Britney was furious with him. She told him that she knew Simon better than anyone and hung up on him. And then when this director tried to get back in touch with her, Simon wouldn't let him speak to her. He kept Brittany cut off from everyone outside. He kept her trapped in that house that she hated, plied with drugs, and controlled her mind. He was bad news. I just Googled image him, and I take back what I said about Simon Cowell. <laughs> oh, my God. He's – I thought this was, like, her stepdad or something because there's all these weird, creepy photos. Is he now hooking up with Brittany's mom? <laughs> Hold on. Well, he's dead now, but mm-hmm. – Oh, yeah. Well – Mm-hmm. He probably died from a massive heart attack. No, from pneumonia and anemia. The same nah, thing as Brittany. Don't buy it. Okay. Th- will. This man? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's really him. Yep, that's him. <sighs> he was bad news, who those close to Brittany say only saw her as dollar signs and a U.S. passport, and that's about it. Because, in fact, when he married Brittany... He owed a bank in England somewhere in the neighborhood of 400,000 pounds. And a month before they got married, he spent nine days in jail for overstaying his visa until Britney bailed him out. Marrying Britney solved both those problems for him. Yeah, I know all about that from my 90-day fiancé, Steph. Yeah. How much is that in USD? I don't know anything about pounds. Uh, probably around $500,000. Mm. And then... After Britney's death, Simon does a series of just incredibly strange interviews. First, he goes on Larry King one month after Britney dies with Sharon. They're both on there. Mm. 
And they're both so weird. Larry King asked Simon what his problem was with getting the autopsy performed on Brittany. And he says about his dead wife, and I'm sorry if you're going to need a cold shower after this, but that it was because her body was just pristine, that she was curvy in all the right places, and her skin was like silk, and it was unfathomable for him that they would cut her up. Oh, it's so okay. It's so that's so cringy. But like the way he worded it is awful. Uh But I could see if someone were to say like, you know, they don't preserve your I mean, they like destroy your body. It does. But to say she has curves in all the right places. No, that is skin is like silk. Okay, stop it, stop it, stop repeating it. (laughs) I I felt like I had to because you were kind of making excuses. (laughs) No, that is weird. Like, ew. I know. Ew, ew, ew. Ew. Well, then Larry King says that there are stories out out there that he's a Svengali. That's the actual word Larry King uses. It's a person who exercises a controlling or mesmeric influence on another, especially for a sinister purpose. I looked the definition up for you. And Simon says, <laughs> a Svengali, Simon says. I should be so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I should be okay. so lucky. Like, all I would want is complete control or mesmeric influence on another person for a sinister purpose. It's all I could want. For a sinister life. purpose. I'd be so lucky. Sharon was acting really odd, too. At one point, when they're talking about the autopsy, she's like, yeah, it's not like she was in a car accident or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you need an autopsy, Sharon, because she literally just dropped dead in her bathroom. Right. And this interview left people wondering what the hell had been going on inside that house. This whole interview was to repair their reputation because everybody was coming out with all these stories about Simon. So what does he do? Right. He invites Radar Magazine to come in and tour the, quote, death house, as he calls it. He calls it that? Yes. Where he and Sharon were both still living. And there is recorded footage of this tour with Simon standing outside the bathroom and saying, you're the first people to see the infamous bathroom. Ew. Uh, Ew. Can you see my face? This is me being disgusted. Yeah. He said she had a penchant for her cosmetics, except most of them were his because he had to buy them. (laughs) With whose money, Simon? With whose money? Yeah. He went into detail with them about where she fell, how he turned her body when she fell. He's walking around smoking a cigar, walking them through her closet and like showing them her clothes, talking about how much fun they had together. Even his mother, Simon's mother, was like, why would he do that? It seems so bizarre. And this is a woman who clearly had enabled Simon his entire life. She was she was like constantly like, well, I know it's not right, you know, darling, but that's just that's just how he was, you know. That's just <laughs> I how don't he know was. if I prefer this impression or your Nancy Grace impression. What did Nancy Grace have to say about Simon? That's my question. <sighs> I wish I knew. Oh my god. Five months almost to the day after Brittany died, nine one one got another call from Sharon. This time about Simon. And this 911 call was like almost identical to the first Mm. one. 
it was weird. Did she sound as hysterical? Yes. He was unresponsive on the bed and a bloated 300 pounds by this time. She tries compressions, but they're not working. 911 says to get him on the floor, and she says, I can't. He's gigantic. And <laughs> sorry. On the 911 call, she calls him baby, which has creeped me out right away. <gasps> oh, uh-uh. No, I called it from those Google images. Uh-huh. And it just nope. gets creepier. It nope. I called it. Gets creepier. They're like canoodling in these mm-hmm. photos. They're mm-hmm. like literally necking. Paramedics arrived and they couldn't find a pulse. They pronounced Simon Monjack dead at 9.45 a.m. on May 23rd, 2010. The same coroner came back out to the house and he talked about how eerie it was to be back in the same house for another death in the same room. He recovered more prescription bottles in many different names, including the name Trevor Williams and Sharon Monjack. Told you. Yeah, I no doubt in my mind. No doubt. <sighs> Sharon told the coroner they were her pills, and she said they were found in Simon's bedroom, which up until five months earlier had, you know, also been Brittany's bedroom, because Sharon and Simon had been comforting each other over the loss of Brittany by sharing the same bed. Blech. <laughs> Gross. <sighs> She later denied that the Sharon Monjack pills ever existed or that she shared a bed with her son-in-law after her daughter's death. But why would she move her belongings from her bedroom into Brittany's bedroom if she wasn't sleeping in there? And also, they had to be doing it. Which, again, (laughs) gross. Damn it. Gross. Yikes. His mother who lives in England, by the way, and never met Brittany in person, says there was no way he could have been sleeping with Sharon Murphy because all the women that he was ever with were young and beautiful. He only liked young and beautiful women. So I rest my case. Well, listen here, Mama Monjack, this Mm -hmm. fool. I mean, look, look at her nuzzling Uh into his chin there. I know. That is disgusting. I know. And also, what shade to Sharon, though? <laughs> like, he couldn't have possibly been with Sharon because he only likes young and beautiful women. He's a creep. This is something else that was really strange. Simon told his mother that he'd been beaten up when he went to jail for those nine days over the immigration issues and that he'd started taking these really strong painkillers. But then the painkillers gave him heart palpitations, which convinced Simon that he had issues with his heart. So he started taking a heart medication without really being seen properly by a doctor, according to his mother. He supposedly suffered from this heart problem and a seizure disorder, but the autopsy report showed there were no issues with his heart at all, which led many people to believe that he had Munchausen syndrome, Hmm. which is where you fake. Right. On July 22nd, 2010, the coroner came out with his findings on Simon's death, and they stunned everyone. He concluded me now. that Simon's cause of death was acute pneumonia and anemia, just like Brittany. It kind of re- started reminding that me make any sense. of the clinic at Texas State, where it like didn't matter what you went in with. You were always diagnosed with bronchitis and an upper respiratory infection. <laughs> <laughs> Like you go in limping oh with like God. a bad ankle and you go out with that bronchitis and an upper respiratory <laughs> That is the realest. Oh my God. That is so true. 
I like would have. Yeah. Until you said that. How many times? I mean, I like walked out of there with like my first inhaler with like no. I'm like, uh, I came in here because I had like a headache. Like, I know. like, yeah, exactly. I sprained my ankle. Yeah. Like, a bronchitis, a respiratory infection. Every time. <laughs> Every time. Oh my God. Eat them up, cats. Uh, so either the coroner doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So either the coroner is just slapping the same diagnosis on every dead body that comes <laughs> across his table, or this is just weird. Simon. Yeah, like causes of death aren't contagious. Not this. Well, I mean, and pneumonia is contagious, but it's five months later. Right. Simon is over 300 pounds, and the coroner said that he had abused his body so much. Brittany was 115 pounds. How did they both come down with the exact same ailments? Two people in one house who die almost exactly five months apart in the exact same room from the exact same natural causes. But Sharon Sharon didn't see anything wrong with this crazy coincidence. She said, Mm -hmm. it is with great relief that Simon's preliminary autopsy findings have been released so the media speculations can stop. As I was sure of, just like my daughter Brittany, there was no kind of drug overdose. Except there was a non-prescription medication drug overdose with Brittany because I'm pretty sure they were just pouring cough syrup down that girl's throat by that time. Well, you listed everything she had in her. Yeah, but a lot of them were like stuff she took regularly, like a painkiller she took regularly. Right. Something for her bad periods that she had. Um, the clonopin for her seizures. Like she took a lot but of I'm medication. I'm just saying when you add right, but when you add other stuff. All to of that, that over the counter, right. And it's like You don't know how that's gonna act. If she had just not taken one of those medications, like would she still be alive? Mm-hmm. You know? But then, Mogab, turns out, there was a recorded conversation between Simon and Sharon found in the voicemails on Simon's phone. It was recorded hours before his death, basically as oh, he was oh. dying. Okay. Tell me. Simon's, Tell me now. And it's weird because she, Simon's mother found it when she was able to collect some of his possessions. But investigators also found it because I don't really buy anything Simon's mother says. But investigate an, an article I read said that investigators also found this voicemail. In the recording, Simon's speech is really slurred. He's barely comprehensible. But he can be heard saying that he's sick and he needs to go to a hospital. And you can hear Sharon telling him to make sure and tell them that he has a fever of 104. And I assume them is referring to doctors, but he never went to a hospital. Wait, I'm confused. How is this a voicemail on his phone? As if he like... And you can hear him talk. I don't know. Like a voice memo? Not like a it phone It said voicemail. Voice like it said it was a voicemail. But a voicemail, not two people are talking. No, they were together. It was, like, recorded on his phone. Oh. Yeah. It was almost like he wanted to leave that for right. someone to find. Right. Okay, wait. Tell me again what it said. So he said that he's sick and he needs to go to the hospital. And you can hear Sharon say, make sure you tell them you have a fever of 104. But he never went to a hospital. She's poisoning people. Okay. <sighs> Okay. All right. I don't know. So. I'm scared now to no, like. we're going to. Verbally accuse people of stuff. No, it's really interesting that you say that. Hang on. 
30 seconds and we will get to that. Simon's mom said that she had begged Sharon to take him to the hospital, but he died at home having never seen a doctor. Sharon's publicist denies this claim, but the truth is he did not go to the hospital. And that recording exists. Sharon has a publicist? Yeah. I guess now. And also, how did Sharon, the breast cancer survivor, the most physically vulnerable person in that house, manage to be the one that made it through without getting pneumonia? So I looked up how contagious is pneumonia? Because I thought that was a good point that the documentary brought up. How did Sharon live in a house with Brittany for six weeks without catching pneumonia? If her immune system is down from the cancer treatment, like you'd think that she would get Mm -hmm. it before Simon. And what I found, Mogad, what I found, it said that pneumonia is as contagious as the flu or a cold if it's caused by infectious microbes. But it said pneumonia is not contagious when the cause is related to poisoning. Wait, I didn't even know you could get pneumonia from being poisoned. But you can. Like an inhalation of chemical fumes. Like if you inhale chemical fumes. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And you mean to tell me, okay, maybe she didn't get it from Brittany if she's like taking care of her or whatever. But you're sharing a bed Uh with Simon Uh and y'all are doing it and you just happen to but they're not mogab oh my god they're not no (laughs) yeah they're not what totally (laughs) no that's what she would say that's what she would say so (sighs) but here's my thing why would she kill her own daughter and son-in-law slash boyfriend yes that's yes slash daughter's husband but Brittany's dad he thinks sharon did poison her He disagreed with the coroner's findings, and he refused to accept that Britney's death was accidental. He thought foul play was involved. Paying Sharon is paying the coroner. Sorry, say what you were going to say again. He even said on Good Morning America, "I have a feeling that there was definitely a murder situation here. Yeah, it's poison. I know that." So he got in touch with a, the dad. her dad, uh-huh, Angelo Bertolotti. So he got in touch with a forensic pathologist. This pathologist, Dr. Wecht, he was interviewed in the documentary, and he said that Brittany's causes of death were possible, but so rare and made even rarer by her affluent status. He said it, it was absolutely unfathomable how this could have happened. This is not a, a rich person disease, Mogab. This is a poor person illness that she died yeah it's like on Oregon trail you (laughs) died from pneumonia (laughs) dysentery i always died no was it dysentery it was dysentery cholera oh god really you died of diarrhea on the Oregon trail that's because you never chose to have a doctor you always pick the doctor they could fix people and they had the most money oh well then i definitely would have picked a doctor so angelo angelo starts doing some digging He wanted to know more about the pneumonia, but especially about the anemia. And he found that some people who died of acute anemia actually died of arsenic poisoning. He also discovered that Brittany's hair was never tested for toxic substances. So he petitions for the hair. He finally gets it. And he I don't even want to know how. And he submits it to an independent lab in Colorado. And the results were really surprising. They showed Hmm. 10 heavy metals at significant levels, 
and several instances were well beyond the levels permissible by the World Health Organization. Several of those metals are ingredients used in rat poison. Dr. Wecht looked at the findings and he said he'd never seen anything like it. Wait. What? I'm shook. I know. I'm just now like processing that like he also, Simon, had to be in on the first one because remember he like didn't want to do the autopsy Uh and was like whatever. He was probably part of it so that he could be with Sharon so him and Sharon could be together. Why? And then, I don't know. And then. There's no way. Unless he was also going to kill Sharon. And then Sharon killed him first. This is too much. I can't. (laughs) That is a terrible movie. That's what that is. (laughs) The effects of heavy metal poisoning are dizziness, sweating, cramps, coughing, lethargy, lethargy, lethargy. (laughs) Lethargy. It's when you're lethargic, lethargic, but I think it's lethargy. Yeah. But anyways, regardless, these are all things that Brittany suffered from leading up to her death. I suffer from that every day. Like all of those that you named. I'm like, yeah, I feel that today after physical therapy. Uh, It's possible that Russ is poisoning you with rat poison. So I'd check those waffles you just ate. Are you kidding? Did you see him come in here and grab that ice cream sandwich out of my paws? No. That's true. (laughs) All right. But there's a reason that Brittany doesn't share her dad's last name. Besides the fact that it's Bertolotti. He hadn't been around much. And Brittany Bertolotti <laughs> sounds like a 450-pound. <laughs> Brittany Bertolotti. I know, it's, kind of, it's got the alliteration going for it. <laughs> Brit Birdie in the house. <laughs> oh, God. Brit Bert. He hadn't been around much, and her and her mom were so close. Brittany's agent even said they'd finish each other's sentences and said they were adorable together. But that no. sounds disgusting. No, that's creepy. Yeah. Sharon responded to Angelo's poisoning claims by saying the evidence was flimsy at best, that his accusation was an insult, and that a hair sample is unreliable. So I looked into that, Sharon. No, it's not. And what I found is (laughs) um, she actually might be right about that. Wait, a hair sample is unreliable? Yeah. Peace Health says that hair analysis can be used to check for poisoning caused by metals such as lead or mercury, but hair analysis alone usually is not used for this type of testing because it can be affected by many outside factors. But there's no way to know if those things made it into her system. They were not reported in her blood by the LA office who says they did test her blood, urine, and tissue and found no heavy metals in her system at all. And the coroner says he is one you test a dead person's urine. I thought about that too. Dead person's yeah, urine. Yeah, I thought about that too. And I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna speculate on that because I did think about that. <laughs> and I'm I, Hey Russell. I'm just kidding. The coroner says he is one hundred percent sure that Brittany was not murdered. But Angela was convinced that his daughter had been poisoned, probably by arsenic. He wanted to have Brittany's body exhumed to test her for signs of poisoning. But that decision was in the hands of Brittany's mother, Sharon, who said, no way, Jose, Mm. to the exhumation. Yeah, so they would, like, dig her body up? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is she buried? Um, I'm not sure. Los Angeles, I think, somewhere. Mm. Angelo believes that she stopped it because it was Sharon who poisoned her own daughter and then poisoned Simon to cover her tracks. So why... Why would a devoted mother whose entire life revolved around her daughter murder her? 
And he says it's because of... Is she jelly? <laughs> maybe. Yeah, he says because of Brittany and Simon's plans for the future, that they wanted to move to New York, but Simon wanted to move without Sharon. They were going to start a new life, maybe even have a child. But Sharon is the third person in that marriage, and she wasn't about to let that happen. Yeah, Sharon is the child. <laughs> Angelo continued to press the issue until 2017, when he finally decided to back off. His health was failing and Sharon wasn't cooperating. He ended up dying in 2019 at the age of 92, thinking his daughter had been murdered. I'm sorry. He was how old? 92. Why? Because he was like, I feel like Brittany's only 10 years older than me and my dad wouldn't be 92. Because he was old. He was like in the mob and married hot young Sharon. Oh. When she was young and beautiful darling. Brittany's half-brother believes it's some kind of conspiracy. He says every time one of her movies comes on, someone's getting paid, and you just have to follow the money. But that's like... Wait, what? Yeah. Does make any sense? No, no one's getting murdered over residuals, so... <laughs> on like... And also, it's not like her movies... I don't feel like I've ever... Like, is she getting residuals on Clueless? Like, that's the only one I think that would still, like, run on TV, really. Uh, I believe she uh, would still be. Yeah. All right. So, what do I think? Sure. Tell me. It's time for what does Kristen think? Kristen's theories. This is what I think. I think that Brittany was in a okay. situation where she had absolutely no control over her life at all. She had a career that she dreamed of and finally achieved, and it was floundering before her very eyes. And she was married to a master manipulator who kept her all to himself and probably caused some of those issues that led to the de demise of her career. And he was like, not cute. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it. Alex Ben Block, the reporter for The Hollywood Reporter, he had been very close with Britney for a long time. And he said that Simon and Britney rarely, if ever, went to doctors because they were afraid that if the paparazzi got wind that either of them were sick, it would hurt their careers even more. But Block said that Simon is the one that incited that paranoia in Britney regarding the paparazzi. He said he was a frequent liar and an ultimate manipulator, and he used those traits to control Britney and separate her from the outside world. I think a lot of things led to Britney Murphy's death, but that her mother poisoning her is probably not one of them. As great as the story as that would oh, be. Oh, girl, please. I no. <laughs> I'm not with you. I'm not with you. Also, the paranoia about going to the doctor, like – don't rich and famous people, the doctor just comes to your house and does a house call. You're not, like, going to your, like, closest Planned Parenthood, like, minute clinic That's a thing. good point. Why wouldn't they call the doctor to them? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Yeah. I think she was taking a lot of medications, both for her own health, painkillers, seizure medicines, antidepressants, and then mixing that with over-the-counter drugs to combat her symptoms from the staff, the laryngitis, the pneumonia. It's a really dangerous thing. So I think... Three things killed Britney. The fact that she was married to a manipulating son of a bitch. The fact that she didn't go to a doctor, probably because of said manipulative son of a bitch. And I think if she maybe hadn't taken like one of those medications, this one or that one, maybe she would still be alive. That she somehow all has from not ever going to a doctor. Like, how do you not go to a doctor and you got 90 prescriptions? That's my question. That's why, Kristen, <laughs> she 100% was 
someone is on that payroll, some doctor, coroner, whatever, because someone is writing prescriptions that they shouldn't be and is getting paid just like the coroner is. And Sharon is sketchy AF. Maybe you're you heard right. it here first. Right. Probably not first. This there's probably been like all kinds of documentaries, TV shows, whatever. You've probably like heard it here third, fourth, <laughs> fifth, sixth. Okay. So Mogab thinks it was murder. I think it was a tragic accident that could have been prevented if one of those people that lived with her in her house had taken her to a damn doctor when she got sick. Like I can be stubborn about going to the doctor too, but six weeks, six weeks of being sick. But mostly I think that Brittany Murphy was a uniquely talented, beautiful, giggly person with unlimited and untapped potential. And that's how she should be remembered. And I miss her. Yeah. She, I, she's fine. Take it. I don't know. Take it back. Take it. Yeah, she seems great. I think she's probably really great. I will watch a movie that she is in. Okay, please. You. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. Start with Girl Interrupted. Oh, she's good in that. Oh, she's crazy. That seems intense. I was it just going to watch Clueless. Oh, well, I mean, Clueless is, yeah, Clueless is my jam. Clueless is the <laughs> best movie. Apparently my boyfriend knew about that one. Clueless is the best movie. He, thought, well, he thought Heath Ledger was in it, but otherwise. Yeah. Okay. If you had to list your top, like, Five movies. Never mind. You could never do it. Like, what are your, like, five movies, your top five? Clueless. Bridget Jones. You're lying. Clueless is really in your top five. Clueless has been my number one since I was 10 years old. Okay. Okay. Again, memorized. Clueless, Bridget Jones. (sighs) Okay, I could give, like, my cool answers, you know, like, oh, Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie. Which, okay, I love. I love the Shawshank (laughs) Redemption. No, it's not. I love Shawshank Redemption. It is one of my favorite movies. But I actually do know that about you somehow. Yeah. But um really if I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna be like, okay, I wanna watch one of my favorite movies again, like the movie that I'm gonna watch over and over and over again, it's Bridget Jones and Clueless. Mm. I haven't seen Clueless in a while though. Okay. I mean I watched the shit out of some Bridget Jones though. But I And you're probably gonna go watch Clueless like tomorrow. Yeah, and that is the story of Brittany Murphy's death and the mysteries surrounding it all joking aside that is really sad and really creepy and i shouldn't say that sharon did it i'm what i am saying though is that i feel very uncomfortable by everything that happened in that house and i feel very strong in my belief that had they saged the absolute shit out of it after britney spears moved out yeah there was some bad juju in that house i think you're right yeah Who's in it now? Oh, God. Probably. Google it. Sharon. (laughs) I wonder (laughs) if she's still in the house. Oh, my God. Sharon, you got to go. Oh, God. She can't still be in that house. Something terrible would have happened to her. I I guess you're right. I was thinking Sharon was in jail. No. I was thinking Sharon was in jail. No. That's not true. She is not in jail. Interesting theory that she's paying off that coroner, though. Oh, 100%. There's because your theory doesn't explain Simon. He just died of the same thing. Yeah, because they were both. I don't think so. They were both like they were both taking a ton of medicine that wasn't great. And yeah, I think they were just in similar situation. But it is freaking weird that they both died of anemia. And what caused her extra period? That's what I want to know too. Why'd she get this extra period? But okay, 90 prescriptions on Simon's side. 90. 
I would like to know, doctors in the world, how often an overdose of prescription medication gives you pneumonia or anemia. Well, anemia, I feel like can't just, I mean, I'm anemic. Like, oh, that's, sweet angel. Don't die. I know. Oh. All right. <laughs> I just have to tell you, we were talking about the go order, and this just flashed in my mind. Do you remember? I tell you, like, stories. Uh, yeah, I remember. Okay. When someone would call in, like, taking it to go order on a busy Sunday was, like, the absolute worst. Like, you do not want to stop what you're doing and, like, bag up the to-go. It's, like, a true pain in the ass. And so the phone would ring. And she would answer it. And then she'd, you know, it's a great day at the Waffle House in Seabrook. How can I help you? And then she'd cover up the phone. Mogab, it's for you. I'd be like, oh, it's probably my mom. I'd go over there. They'd be like, yeah, I want a place to go order. And then she'd walk away. <laughs> she'd be like, <laughs> like, she would just not take them. She would just tell people. And then sometimes she'd be like, Rachel, phone's for you. It's your man. And then she'd be like, oh, hey, babe. And they'd be like, we want a place to go order. I'd be like, Every time. Never took a ticket order. Not one time. Uh, this coming from the girl who's never ordered a pizza. On the phone. I know. That is true. <laughs> I mean, we all had our shady stuff. Hot chocolates? No. Do not come in, sit in my section, and order a hot chocolate. Every time I would say, like, oh, sorry, we're out, but I can get you a chocolate milk. No one needs a hot chocolate in Texas ever. I'm not about to sit here when it's busy as hell. Add the powder, add the milk, stir it up. And my favorite part would be that I would say like, oh, we're out. And then the next booth over, someone would like serve a hot chocolate. And I'd be like, oh, I guess we got some in. Sorry. Do you want one now? After they already had the chocolate milk. Like, no, they don't. You do not want a hot chocolate. It's 85 degrees. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, peeps and creeps. We'd love to hear from all of you. So find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can find us everywhere at Creepers Pod. And you can also email us any feedback, case suggestions, or if you just want to, like, you know, hype us up via email. Um, it's creeperspod at gmail.com. Also, a huge thanks to everyone who's left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. They help us out in such a huge way. So if you liked this episode, we would love it, love it, love it if you would take a minute to give us a five star rating and a review. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I will tell Mogab all about Belle Gunness, the Black Widow and her murder farm. That sounds awful. Bye, peeps and creeps.